Please turn to Genesis 50, 15 through 21. It's a very uh, famous passage, Genesis 50, 15 through 21, the story of Joseph and uh, the resolution of all that happened to him. This is the word of God. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father, Jacob, was dead, they said, it may be now that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we have done to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of your servants, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, as a pastor, um, of course, I get to see uh, the the human suffering of more people than than most folks get to see. And there is a common question. It is a, a scriptural question that I am asked quite often, and you probably know what it is already. The question is, why? And I have to answer, honestly, I don't know. But I do know who knows. And I know that He is sovereign. And I know that He is good. And I know that He is love. And I also know that you are in good company asking this question. I think of Habakkuk 1-2. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? Because we think not only why has this happened to me, but... Why has this continued to be without relief? Or why has this, whatever it is, not happened to me? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? Why do the wicked continue to prosper, O Lord? We learn in the Psalms and the righteous struggle. When, O Lord, will you come to our deliverance? And our text shows us Something very counterintuitive to our thoughts as we wrestle with life in a fallen world, as we wrestle within our hearts. Our text shows us a God who is above all, who is involved in all, a God who is weaving all things together for good, for ultimate good. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Sinclair Ferguson's written a lot on the, the will of God. And, and in speaking about the will of God, he says that 
you know, in our lives, it just seems that the, the providences of God, the will of God, the mysteriousness of, of God's working and us not being Him or privy to all of His thoughts, and that it sometimes maybe our lives, as we look at it, it just kind of seems like a giant, complex jigsaw puzzle that we just can't see and we just can't understand. And I think that's a good illustration. But he goes on to say, you know, if we were to see several key pieces in place, we would begin to say, oh, I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Oh, there's a piece, there's a piece, there's a piece. No, oh, okay, now I see you are weaving hard things for good. I was dealing only recently with a situation uh, has no, nothing to do with anybody around here. Um, where somebody had done something that was quite harmful to people. And I just didn't understand why that happened. And I was talking to a person who had come to me to, to talk about this. And, and I said, I, I just don't understand. It just, it just seems like such a, a waste. And this person said, well, you know, I, I don't think you have all the information. And this person gave me an, a very strategic, helpful piece of information. You know, not rushing to judgment is a very important part of life, isn't it? I still didn't agree, but at least I got why a person might do that, you see. At least I was no longer in the realm of, I can't believe you would do that, and that is just ridiculous and stupid and sinful. You know, this not only includes the stuff that happens to us, this not, in, not only includes the things that, that we do that are foolish and the, the consequences thereof. This in our text includes even the harmful actions of other people against us because of their sin. And how tragic is that? How unfair we feel is that we didn't ask for that person's attitude we didn't ask for that person's attitude we didn't ask for this to happen to us why did they do that as for you joseph says you meant evil against me right that's what it says that's it. this is in that realm you meant evil against me but god overruled you god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God can use it all. In fact, God's not just working His providence just in light of you. We learn from this text that Joseph goes through a horrendous experience and it's not just so Joseph can learn a lesson. It's not just so Joseph can be one day lifted up as a result of his faith. It is also so that thousands of people will not perish. You see, God is the ultimate multitasker. He doesn't have any trouble multitasking. God actually sees the big picture. God is working the big picture. He is weaving a big picture that is good, even though it's as horrendous as Joseph's story, which we'll get into in a moment. But sometimes we feel abandoned, don't we? Sometimes we feel that God is absent. Sometimes, a lot of times, we think God is horrendously slow. 
Right? He's not. He's not absent. He has not abandoned us. He is not slow. He is there and He is constantly working even when we cannot see it because we are not the judge nor can we be of the activities of God and the efficacy and the reality and the power and purpose and goodness of the activities of God quite unknown to our view. Nobody had reason to feel abandoned more than Joseph. Nobody had reason to collapse into depression more than Joseph because of the multiple betrayals of this man. After these intense, serial tribulations, he saw what we very seldom get to see. He gets to see a little patch of the puzzle filled in. He gets to see, God allows him to see some of the big picture and he understands then why these things have happened to him for the result of the saving of many lives. And it leads to a different viewpoint. John Flavel, one of the great Puritan scholars, talks about the mysterious nature of God's providence. And he says, and I quote, The providences of God are like Hebrew words. They can only be read properly backwards. You know, Hebrew, you read from right to left, not from left to right. And he says, you know, the, the, the providence of God, it's like you've got to read it from the end to the beginning. You've got to see the big picture to understand all the details. You've got to read it from right to left. And so let me just give you a sentence this morning. We need to read our lives backwards by faith to be able to live them forwards with courage. Let me say that again. We need to live our lives backwards by faith, realizing that God has the big picture and all these things serve good purposes. We need to read our our lives backwards by faith so we can live them forwards with courage. The first part is that the need to be able to read them backwards by faith. So what I would like to do is I would like to uh, retell the story of Joseph for a moment backwards. You see, if you read it backwards, you get it. You read it backwards, it's not suspenseful. Why is Joseph in Egypt? Joseph is in Egypt so that he can be the second most powerful man lifted up out of obscurity, out of prison, to be at the right hand of the Pharaoh, which literally means that Joseph became the second most powerful man in the entire world. That's what God did with Joseph. Why is he there, though? He's not just there to wield power and to be an administrator, etc. He's there to be in charge of the grain that has been stored up for seven years Now a a famine has hit that area of the world and there is no bread. And I'll tell you where there's no bread. There is no bread in the land of Canaan where Joseph came from and his father Jacob and his 11 brothers are starving to death. The reason Joseph is there in Egypt 
is for them to be able to come down to Egypt and get what they would have never gotten without Him being there. Food. Shelter. A place. You see, this is why Joseph says, And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good for the purpose of bringing about what, that, that many people should be kept alive and they have, as they have been today. That's why he is in Egypt. Okay, so let's back up. How did he get to be the second in command in Egypt? Well, to be the second in command in Egypt, he had to be forgotten by somebody in prison. So Joseph, he's thrown in prison. We'll get to it in a minute. He's, it's not even fair while, he, while he's thrown in prison. But while he is in prison, he has this ability under God to interpret dreams and the, the king's baker and the king's cup holder or cup bearer. Uh, there's these dreams that he interprets. One of them is going to lose their head. The other is going to be restored to the right hand of the king. And he says to the one that's going to be restored, he said, look, oh, thank you so much for interpreting this dream. The guy is executed. This guy, he goes, and, and hey, look, when you get right next to the king, remember old Joseph, okay? He doesn't. And year, we're talking about 20 years, the whole thing. About 20 years. Years go by with him rotting in prison, betrayed by the cupbearer, holder of the king. And why does that have to happen? Because if Joseph were released from prison, he would have gone home. But God has other plans. God literally holds Joseph in prison through the betrayal of this man so that he will be available when the king starts dreaming and nobody can interpret his dream. And the cupbearer says, I know somebody that can interpret his dream. I remember when he did it. And that's when Joseph, at the right exact time, rotting in prison, could have been bitter, is lifted to Pharaoh, and, and he interprets the dream about the famine and the skinny cows and the fat cows. I won't go into to it all. That there's going to be famine and we're going to store up grain. And Pharaoh says, you know what, why don't you be in charge of that? So, he's, he's betrayed in prison. And how did he get to prison? That's not a great place to be. Especially when you didn't do anything wrong. Well, he was in the employ of a high official of Egypt named Potiphar. And he did nothing but be loyal to Potiphar. Potiphar's household flourished as long as Joseph was there. Joseph honored God. And you know, Potiphar's wife had sexual desires for Joseph. Potiphar's wife became a predator on Joseph. And she engineered it where they would be alone at the house one day. And you know what? She grabbed him and he was faithful to Potiphar and he was faithful to God and he ran so quickly out of that place of temptation that he literally left his clothes in her hands. And it's exactly what she brought to her husband and, and accused him wrongly. This man was a predator on me. See, I still, I've got his clothes. So he's sent to jail. He's like a sexual offender sent to jail. How's that go down when you've been nothing but faithful and true? That's betrayal. Look, it's, I mean, in Joseph's life, it's kind of this dual thing of not just the bad stuff that happens, but the betrayal that leads to it. Right? 
I mean, look, if bad stuff happens to you, that's bad. But when betrayal is how it happens, it's really bad. There's no human emotion quite as deep as that one, probably. So, how did he get down to Egypt? To go to jail. To be left to rot by people who forgot him. Well, when Joseph was a boy, and it is true that his father preferred him, it is true that he was given a coat of many colors, and the other brothers didn't have it, and it is true that he had a dream, and in the dream, basically everybody's bowing down to Joseph of the brothers, which they do in the text that I just read, and they bowed down before him and said, please forgive us. So the dream actually comes true. It's actually resolved in the text that I just read. But they weren't really happy about the report of this dream, and Joseph was probably too reckless in telling, you know, his brothers over Fruit Loops the next morning that they were all going to bow down to him. (laughs) And so what did they do? You know, his brothers, they betrayed him. They decided initially to kill him. But then they had a better idea. Threw him in a pit. Let's sell him. Then we won't have his blood on our hands. Let's sell him and let's make some money off of him. A caravan is coming through, heading toward, guess where? Egypt. And they sell their brother into slavery. That's how he gets to Egypt. Is this, I mean, who sells their own brother into slavery? How do you feel? When your brother sells you into slavery and you can't get out. How do you feel when you get down to Egypt and you're taken to the slave market and your clothes are taken off and you're tied up and you have to spin around and show how physically fit you are and you are sold to somebody because your brothers sent you there. And he's sold to Potiphar. Oh my. Nobody. If there's anybody that has the right to ask why and to be bitter, it's Joseph. But he doesn't. You see, when you read the story backwards, which is exactly what Joseph has done now, because he's had to live all this pain forward, when you read it backwards, you see the puzzle filled in. The story of Joseph isn't there to assure us that if we will just live long enough through our pain that we too will have our puzzles filled in by God all the time. The story of Joseph is to show us that God is in control after all. In the worst, most painful, ridiculously unimaginable kind of things. One after another. He never walks away from God. He, he rema- the, the story of Joseph is amazing because, because Joseph just keeps getting backhanded to the ground with these things and he just keeps looking up to God. He's one of my favorite characters. I'd like to think I was named after him, but I was actually named after my father and my grandfather. Maybe somewhere along the line I was named after the Joseph. I sure would like to be more like the Joseph. Now, we are called to faith through this story to to be able to say, okay, I see it, and so my life, I don't have all the puzzle pieces, but I can trust that same God. 
I can read it backwards by faith. I can know that God is in charge of these things. You know, now I must say that, that sometimes there are things in your life that you can see and sometimes you can't see. You know, in my life, I don't know why my dad died. Still to this day, I don't know why my dad died. God doesn't owe me an explanation about why my father was dead in 1976. And you know, I remember just coming right out of seminary and I wanted to start a church. And I was so excited. And I was rejected. And I was so disappointed. And so God sent me over to Augusta, Georgia to be an assistant pastor. And I just begrudgingly, and by that time, thankfully, actually, <laughs> made it there. And I met Gina, my wife, the very first night I was there. Now, okay, whoa, there's a puzzle piece. I can see that puzzle piece, right? I can see that one. But these kinds of things that we see in our lives are only just, they're only like snippets. Tiny little puzzle pieces of the whole. And the story of Joseph is to help us look to God and to not sit there immobilized, just waiting on more snippets before we approve of God and His providence. Waiting on more puzzle pieces before we can get out of our paralysis and trust God again. We are to, as the old-timers put it, not wait on puzzle pieces. We are to wait upon the Lord as the old-timer. That is to have faith. That is to keep putting one foot in front of the other, trusting that God has the big picture. Do you believe that God has the big picture? Do you believe that He loves His people? If you believe both of those things... You don't have to sit immobilized, paralyzed, in anger, in disillusionment, etc. It's time to get past some of that by reading it backwards through faith. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work, hear this, together for good to those who love God and are the called according to what? His purpose. How many things work together? All things. What do they work together for? Good. Whose purposes are they? God's. Who is this goodness for? Those who are called to Him, His people who love Him, who suffer. In a fallen world. When Joseph told his brothers what you, what you did, you meant it for evil. <laughs> you flat out meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. You know the, the word you meant, you meant it? Uh, it has to do with cunning. Like the Hebrew definition of this. There's several definitions of where this word could go. It has to do with cunning. But it also has to do with skillful weaving. Can you see like cunning being kind of like weaving? What you were just weaving for evil. God was weaving something bigger than you for good. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
One of the books I read years ago, I, I've always been a, fran, a fan of Francis Schaeffer and the ministry called Labrie uh, that kind of took on the 60s and the 70s and with some apologetics, meaning the, just the defense of the faith, understanding and bringing uh, the Christian faith to the culture. Um, Edith Schaefer finally wrote a book about their life together, you know, she and Francis' life together, and about the beginning of the ministry called Labrie and, and all that happened. And you know what she called the book? It's really thick. It's not hard to read. You ought to read it. She called it The Tapestry. And the reason, this weaving idea, you see, that, that was her idea as well because, you know, she, she's a woman and she liked to, to sew and she liked to weave. So, you know, think about a tapestry that's strung out and on the top you're weaving this. You've got a pattern. You're looking, you're looking from the top. You've got a pattern. Everything makes sense. You ever seen what one of those looks like from the bottom? She says it's just strings hanging down. It's just all kind of ugliness on the bottom. And you look at it from the bottom and you go, what is that going to be? You look at it from the top and you say, that is absolutely beautiful, purposeful, and it's getting better. We only see the underside. God doesn't owe us the aerial view of the tapestry. So God is calling us to, to read our lives backward by faith, to, to trust in Him, the great overweaver. When we live our life, read our lives backwards by faith, we have the courage to live them forwards. So I want to talk about this idea of, okay, I will believe in the sovereignty of God, I will believe in the love of God, and what that might mean in my life and in the lives of other people, frankly. And his church, all this is multitasking, you see, what that might mean going forward. We have the ability to live our lives forward with courage to the glory of God. You know, believers in Christ actually have an unfair advantage when, when it comes to this. Very unfair advantage. I'd like to go back to the image of God's providences as a giant jigsaw puzzle that's very complex. Okay, can you get, get that back in your head? Now, let me ask, how many here love to do jigsaw puzzles? Raise your hand. Okay, there are the weird people among us. Or maybe the smart people, I'm not sure which. I'm not good at them. I'm not good at them. Maybe I don't have the patience. I'm like not even spiritually mature enough to play golf yet. You know, because I don't have the patience. So, how do you put together a jigsaw puzzle? Well, you know, you people that know how to do it, you know the answer. Where do you start? You start by finding the corners. There you go. <laughs> and once you got the corners, you get the edges. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now... You put the corners and the edges first together, and once you got the corners and the edges, now you have the puzzle framed, and you can begin to work. The middle's beginning to make sense just a little bit at a time, right? Look, more than anybody else on this planet, we 
who have Christ. We can trust God when we don't see all the pieces because we alone in this world are the only pieces that have been given, the only people who have been given the corner pieces and the edges. Our lives literally are already framed by the chief cornerstone. We know how this works out. We know who He is. We know what it looks like to live a life with Him in real time. This isn't just some random puzzle that we can't see and can't even begin to start believing that it's going to be good. No, we got the corner pieces, we got the edges framed by God Himself. you got to see this. You got, I beg you to see this. Are you going to be stuck in the desert? You're going to be stuck waiting for pieces. Now, in Jesus, we have a God who has come for us and who has rescued us, redeemed us because of our sin. Has suffered greatly, been betrayed, suffered horrendously on a cross, for the express purpose to be with us. Yeah, like me, sinner, you, sinner. It's, it, I know it's incredible that somebody with nothing to offer would have somebody who would give everything just to be with them. It is love. That's what it is. And He has all the power, folks. And He loves us. He got the whole thing. He's working all things. And He will lead us. And you know, we have a Savior who not only came to rescue us and put us in the place of knowing where it's all going, we see it is framed of having this assurance and the assurance of having Him with us in the middle of it all by His Spirit. But we have a Savior who is more than compassionate with us. We have a Savior who is called a man of sorrow, well acquainted with suffering and grief. And He knows how to comfort people who will actually look to Him and quit demanding the pieces. He knows how to supply us what we actually need rather than what we think we need. And He knows how to love us in the midst of this suffering that doesn't make sense. And there is real compassion by our high priest who knows us, loves us, is with us by the Holy Spirit. Real compassion and care. And he holds us up. And he's working the whole puzzle. We see this in the text. Joseph's brothers are understandably concerned that he is about to kill them. Now that Jacob is dead... Now that the patriarch that he wants to make sure is all happy to have a, uh, a, a happier, peaceful death is gone, what we read is, is they said, Oh, by the way, Jacob, your father told us to tell you, please forgive your brothers. <laughs> they are understandably concerned that the second most powerful man in the world will say, Okay, my dad's dead, now you pay. But Joseph says this, 
As for you, you meant evil against me. You did. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive just as they are today. And you know, it really is at this particular moment in the passage, not just about reviewing the past, reading it backwards, it really is at this particular moment about living forward, moving forward. Joseph says, do not fear. Don't fear. I'm here now. I am here and I am in this place. I have suffered because of your sin. And I have triumphed through God. And I am here. And I have the power. And I love you. And I will take care of you. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Jesus Christ tells us. And Joseph goes on to say, look at verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will continue to roll a covenant of grace through you and your children after you for the generations to come. Thus, we read in verse 21, He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. By faith, reading God's providence backwards helps us tremendously. And we can wait upon the Lord when we begin to see this. Um, And we can do this because we have been given the corner pieces already and the edge pieces through the death, resurrection, ascension, sitting at the right hand, and I will send you another comforter to be with you just as I have been with you, to teach you all truth, to lead you, to teach you all things concerning me. And those corner pieces assure us, don't they, when we really stop and think about it, the corner pieces of God's grace through Jesus alone in this world, nobody else. Nobody else can save us from a holy God. Nobody can change themselves sufficiently to be accepted by a holy God. It is Jesus or nothing. It is God's work or nothing. And these corner pieces assure us that the middle is going to be okay. You have to believe that. The middle is going to be okay and it's going to be for God's glory as well. And that is actually a freeing way to live in a fallen world of a thousand solitary confinement jail cells of our own making. It is liberating to trust in a God who knows us and loves us and will lead us and has framed the whole thing for us. And you can count on it. So let me close by going back to Romans 8, 28. Listen carefully. Because I'm going to go a little bit further and talk about God's sovereignty and how much you can count on it. So listen very carefully, okay? For we know 
that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. You can count on it through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, move us out of our immobility our paralysis. Move us out of our bitterness and anger. Move us out of how our anger has become self-righteousness that rises up in opposition to your very spirit of comfort and truth. Re-establish the corners and the edges of the frame of our lives through what your Son has done who He is and what He is doing and what He will do. Give us by faith the ability to live our, read our lives backwards so that we might live it forwards courageously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.